Welcome into The Harvest, a podcast dedicated to helping ordinary believers take the message and mission of Jesus out of the building and into the everyday places of life. Today, Lakeith and I talk about the Timothy Principle, how small focus leads to big impact. It's easy for us to buy into the idea that bigger is always better. The modern church in America has definitely taken this approach over the past 30 to 40 years. We want to reach as many people as we can, as fast as we can. And it's tempting to take shortcuts and to borrow business models we see in the world around us. But is this the way of Jesus? Is it the way of the apostles we read about in the New Testament? We hope to convince you that the best way to make a difference in the world is to go small and learn to focus on a few, to follow the model of Jesus himself. But we want to know what you think about today's show. So give a listen and then visit our Facebook page and let us know your thoughts in the post for this episode. All right, well, Keith, it's just me and you today, brother. This is a uh, <laughs> this is the first time I we've know, had right? we've had me and Abby. We've had me, you, and Abby. Yeah, we've had me and other people, Abby and other people. Exactly. But uh, so far with the podcast, we have never had just Keith and Andrew. Nope. So the Abinator is not here, guys. We're Abbyless. <laughs> We're going to see how this goes today. Yeah, yep. Abby is on the road and unable to join us Boom. for this week's uh, podcast. I'm actually not even sure exactly where she's going yeah, or me either, <laughs> what's going on, but I know it's important. Right. And so uh, we're thankful for you guys listening today, joining Lakeith and I. And we've got a, a great subject to talk about today. We're going to be talking about the Timothy Principle. Mm. And we're going to dive into that here in just a few minutes. But uh, Keith, why don't you catch us up on what's going on in your life over the past week? What's been encouraging to you? And For sure. For sure. Well, since Abby left us, uh, life has been pretty gray. It's actually a lot of clouds out here in San Diego right now. We know why. No, I'm just kidding. We did have our um, our SoCali rally this Saturday, which was super, super dope. Uh, we had groups from all over uh, come together and, yeah, try to unite our hearts and minds to focus on Jesus, but to have fun, to enjoy the sun. And, uh, Will, Will Frank shared his testimony about how he came to the Lord and what it's looked like to follow him since, and that was that was on point. And then Ben uh, McCoy dropped some bombs in the message uh, about Jesus. Man, he dropped some bombs. So I think that was probably the highlight of the week so far was the SoCali rally. rally. There's some good food too. So. <laughs> good food. Yeah, that's one of the things we're trying to do here in our, our local area. The podcast really is is our effort just to broadcast or amplify this way of life, but but we ourselves are trying to live everything that we talk about on the podcast or on the blog. And so one thing that we've been doing recently is trying to operate in a, in a decentralized way because we want each person, each team of people here in our local area, San Diego, to be able to, to go into their corner of the harvest and to share the gospel, live for Jesus, make disciples, in ways that make sense for their neighborhood or their workplace, but still be connected to a broader network of like-minded, like-hearted believers. And so every six to eight weeks, we've been trying to get together area-wide um, with an event we call the SoCali Rally. And so this last Saturday was one of those. And you're right, Ben Ben McCoy gave a, a great message on three no's that we need to say and live out if we're going to follow Jesus. Do you remember what those were? Yeah, shout out to Ben. The first one was uh, say no to sin. 
The second one was say no to success. And he explained what that meant uh, a little further. And the last one was say no to the many. The many, yeah. And that's kind of cool because that's a highlight of what we're going to be talking to about today on a podcast. So it's funny how that worked out. Yeah, I agree. It was it was a great message, and I think we captured the audio. We'll have to release that on the podcast here mm-hmm. um, over the next few weeks because I know it would encourage a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. I think that's uh, the biggest thing that that uh, happened here in the local area since our our last podcast last week. So why don't we uh, why don't we go ahead and dive into today's topic? Yeah, let's do it. We're going to be talking about the Timothy principle, something that is near and dear to our hearts. And I actually got that name from a book that's actually called the same thing. Um, the author is Roy Robertson. He wrote a book called The Timothy Principle that I read probably 20, 25 years ago and definitely has influenced my thinking over the years. Um, but, but really, this goes all the way back to Jesus because the Timothy mm-hmm. Principle is just the next generation of Paul taking a taking a young man, Timothy, and investing in him the same way that he saw Jesus taking the 12 and investing in, in them. And so let's start there, Lakeith. We, yeah. we talked a little bit about bef- a little bit before we started recording mm-hmm. about the mission of Jesus and the method of Jesus and how as modern-day followers of Jesus, if you went around and you asked 100 Christians, does Jesus have a mission how many do you think would say yes? Jesus has a mission. Just, just your opinion. Yeah, my my opinion would be about ninety five for sure. Like at least ninety five percent would say that he has a mission. Yeah, I think so too. I think yeah. the vast majority of believers understand that that there's a work that Jesus did on the earth and that he's continuing to do in our time. But I think if you started asking, if you asked those ninety five people who said, yes, Jesus has a mission. If you began to ask them, well, what is the mission of Jesus? What is it? What does it look like today? You'd start to get some, some variation. Some people would think one thing, others would think another. I mean, I think some of the big, some of the big things that you hear people talking about today are evangelism. You hear people talk about social justice. Um, There are others who, who uh, believe that the mission of Jesus isn't so much something that's happening right now, but you know he had a mission when he was on the earth and he's going to return, and that's when the, the mission is really going to take place. But there'd be some variation. But still, I think there'd be I think there'd be a lot of agreement on some of the basics of, of what the mission of Jesus is. But you know, if you were to try to put into your own words what what is the mission of Jesus? You know, how how would you? We got two of those ninety five right here. Yeah. So how would <laughs> how yeah, would we no. answer that? Oh man, that's a good question. I uh, that was a good one. I, I can't say that I'm not uh, caught off guard, but it's a good thing. I think it's good to be to be ready to explain. Like, hey, what what was Jesus' mission? What was his message? And um, if I could like nail it down, I would actually agree with, with what Jesus said about his mission to seek and to save the lost. You know, like the Father has sent Jesus pretty much on a rescue mission to to save a people for himself that would be willing to live for him and to accomplish his will during their time on earth. So uh, I would say that Jesus's mission was to to have a people for himself that were living uh, 
that were living for him and for his purposes. And uh, I think that was a way to the masses, to the many, was through those that small group of people who would be Jesus' people, if that makes sense. It, yeah, it does make sense. And um, I, I agree. I think that verse in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man yeah. came to seek and to save that which was lost is is a great mission statement of Jesus. I mean, there are several. Mm-hmm. But that's definitely one of the most clear statements that Jesus made about why he came. There's another one in John 10 where Jesus, of course, he describes himself as the good shepherd right. in John 10. And that's that's a, a way of understanding who Jesus is, but also what he's doing. So the good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. A little bit later, though, he tells his audience there, it was in Jerusalem in John 10, he was talking to the crowds, uh, Jewish crowds, and he makes the statement that he has other sheep which are not of this fold. Mm -hmm. And he said, I must bring them also, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. So Jesus there is referring to the Gentiles. Hey, hey, we made it. it Yeah, guys like us um, are, are part of this mission because the good shepherd had sheep which were outside that particular fold, the the nation of Israel, the people, the physical descendants of Abraham. And he said that he was going to be bringing them also, and he was going to be combining them into one flock with one shepherd. And so even today, um, that's what Jesus is doing. That's that's what he came here to set out to do. And his death is part of that. Right. You know, without Without Jesus not only being the good shepherd, but also being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this thing doesn't work because sin is the thing that's actually separating us, separating people from God. So if Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost and to gather a people into the flock of God, mm-hmm. then that that barrier, sin, has to be dealt with. And so Jesus' death on the cross is not in competition with this mission of gathering people. It's actually part of the work that Jesus accomplished so that he could gather us to the Lord. But that is the mission. The mission is gathering a people for God. And so I think you get a lot of of consensus uh, among believers that, yes, even if they didn't quite say it that way, if you articulated that to them, they would say, okay, yeah, I can get behind that. I can... I can agree that that is the the mission of Jesus. That makes sense, and certainly among evangelical Christians, that's uh, that's sort of the way we think mm-hmm. and the way we're trying to live. But if you go to the next step and you say, "Well, is there a method of Jesus? Is there a way that Jesus went about accomplishing this work, this mission? Did he have a method?" And then. Is it discernible? Are we supposed to actually follow in the footsteps mm. of Jesus? Mm. Is this method, does it exist? And are we supposed to imitate it? Uh, I think you'd get, you'd, get a fair, you'd get far fewer people oh, yeah. who were confident about this method, what it, what it is, and whether or not we're capable of, uh, of imitating it. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that, Keith? Yeah, I think that 95%, you know, from... The questions we ask would go way down, and uh, <laughs> if I could, put, I could put a number on it because I'm not sure what it would be, <laughs> but it would be significant. I really do think so because um, I think it's so much easier to focus on uh, really anybody but Jesus, you know. So whether it's a modern day pastor or a priest, 
or even Paul or, you know, Peter, some of the great men of the Bible, uh, because it seems, it seems less, uh, I don't know, in depth, you know, it's like, man, Jesus was the son of God. He was perfect. There's no way I can do what Jesus did. You know, there's no way I can imitate his ministry. But uh, Jesus points out so many times that, you know, how he wanted to pass on the torch and uh, the verse that talks about you're going you're gonna to do greater things than me one day. Like you're going you're gonna to do greater things than me. And that's, I think that's hard for us to imagine and to picture that that uh, we can actually accomplish what Jesus, Jesus accomplished as far as focusing on a few. And uh, Andrew, I would say that if there was one verse that really surprises me in the Bible, that surprised me more than anything else in the Bible, is probably John 17, when he talks about, uh, I have accomplished the work that the Father has given me to accomplish. And uh, man, it's like he hadn't gone to the cross yet. He hadn't saved the world. He hasn't died for people's sin. But he said that he accomplished the work which the Father had gave him to do. And I think it goes back to that principle of focusing on a few that were going to carry on the work after he was gone. And um, at that point, they were ready. you know. So Jesus could say that he had accomplished the work that the Father had gave him to do. So his method of focusing on a few, I think it's so underrated. I think it gets swept over, swept yeah. under the rug by so many things. Yeah, I agree with that. At John 17, many, many people will refer to that chapter as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And our, our listeners will remember that in John 17, the, the location is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's just before Jesus uh, is arrested. John 18, Jesus gets arrested, and everything kicks off with the trial, um, ultimately the execution, and then his burial. But none, like you said, none of that has happened so in John 17, he's with his 11 disciples because Judas has already left to go and, and get the, the troops to come back and arrest Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus is there in the garden with his 11 closest followers. And he, he says, I accomplished the work which you gave me to do. And, and then as he's praying to the Father, everything that he's praying about revolves around these 11 men that mm-hmm. he's invested in. So he, he begins to pray and report back to the Father, here's what I've done with yeah. these men who you gave me out of the world. Hmm. And so one way that, that I understand the, the prayer of Jesus in John 17 is it is his accounting, it's his report to the Father of how he lived and especially how he lived towards these closest followers, what mm-hmm. he gave to them, how he guided them, and his hopes, dreams, and prayers for what would happen with them after he left, after mm-hmm. he returned to the Father. And so, yes, it's, it's a high priestly prayer, but it's a prayer that's very much focused around his 11 closest disciples and the work that he did with them. Right. So I think, I think you, um, you make a good point there that Jesus, when he says he had finished the work, it wasn't his work on the cross because right. that had not yet happened. Exactly. But he had finished his work with the 11 disciples that he was going to be uh, commissioning to go, to go out into the world and, and continue his work. So yeah, I, we're, we're making up these stats, but <laughs> I mean, I, I would just say subjectively from my own experience, yeah. I know that I realized that Jesus had a mission um, long before I realized that he had a method. And for many of the folks that I've interacted with over the past 25 years, I think that that's been common, that a lot of believers who have faith and who have 
an idea of this mission uh, don't have a, a clear picture of, well, what is the method of Jesus? And that's what we're going to be talking about today, um, which is synonymous with the Timothy principle. So uh, I read this um, I read this recently by a guy named Dan White Jr., who's actually going to be on the podcast here later this month. He wrote a great book called Love Over Fear. But this is uh, something that he wrote recently. He said, Christianity started out as a community. It moved to Greece and it became a philosophy. It moved to Rome and it became an institution. It spread to Europe where it became a government. It spread to America where it became a business. So, and then he asked the question, what might it take for us to return to community? Huh. Is that even possible? Yeah, that's a challenging question, man. And uh, I think what I've taken away from that quote, just hearing it right now, is that uh, God's going to keep moving. Like, the work's going to keep going, you know? So, like, I think where we come into play is, like, where do, where are we hoping that God takes it, you know? And how do we get back to that community? And um, I think I'm hopeful because, like you said, you know, at all of the places it's been and how it's been spreading, it's still moving, you know? It's not, it's not dead. And uh, that's encouraging. So hopefully we can get back to those basics and back to those fundamental principles of what it meant to to belong to Jesus and live for him. Yeah, one thing I take away from that is because of these these different stages and how, how Christianity has been understood and practiced over the years, if we're going to get back to how Christianity started, which as as Dan White says there, it started as a community. Mm. It started that way because of Jesus and how he went about his work. You know, Jesus built a community and his method had a lot to do with that. And so if we're going to get back to the, the roots of Christianity and become a community once more, then the starting point is, is Jesus. Focusing on him, not just as an idea, but as a model that the, the life and mission of Jesus is something that we can and should imitate. And the way he went around, the way he went about um, making disciples, mm. representing the Father is something that we can and, and should imitate. So uh, there's this idea that we have in, as Americans that bigger is better. And I think the church has definitely bought into that, that if we, the bigger we can do things, mm -hmm. then the better that is. But, um, that isn't the way that that Jesus started. You know, he came down to earth and he started with a few. Yeah. So we're going to dig into that. Um so let's let's dive into that right now, Keith. What mm -hmm. if you were to describe the method of Jesus? What were some of the the key principles that you see Jesus living out as he made disciples? What, what mm -hmm. were some of his methods? We'll just just kick yeah. around like we'll, we'll dig up three or four of these that I think uh, will for help sure. our listeners. For sure. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, it's funny. I think of uh, Mark three fourteen when he said that he appointed the 12 that they might be with him. And um, just that idea of being with Jesus, he wanted to go through life with his, with the, with the men that God had trusted to him. And uh, funny enough, Andrew, I remember the first time you pointed out Luke nine eighteen to me, I thought it was pretty comical, man. It, says that when Jesus was, was alone, when he was praying alone, his disciples were with him, you know. And uh, when he finally got some alone time to spend with the Father, the disciples are right there. Like uh, 
they were right there in some of his most intimate moments. And uh, I think that's always been something that caught my eye, that Jesus not only was willing to share himself in the gospel um, and his mission, his relationship with the Father with others, but he's willing to share his life also too. Uh, and they spent, I mean, as much time together as they could, possibly it seems like they were always with Jesus, uh, for better or for worse, uh, through the ups and downs, like the highs and the lows, they were with Jesus. And, uh, that was his, that was his aim. So I would say that the one place that you see Jesus inviting people to was into his life. Uh, when they asked him, Hey, where are you staying? You know, he said, come and see. And they stayed with him those two days. So Jesus was, um, not only willing to share the message, but his life too. And I think that's one of the big methods I see that Jesus used was to use himself as a model, but also invite people into his life, uh, whatever that looked like, you know, sharing meals, sharing time together, going through the scriptures. Um, they were with Jesus constantly. I think that made a difference for sure. Yeah, your, your life is the message and your life is the curriculum. So that's <laughs> one thing that we definitely see in Jesus um, that he was, he was passing on his way of life by bringing the ones that he was investing in, the mm -hmm. disciples, into extremely close relationship with him, ongoing relationship. And so many times we refer to that as life on life, yep. that that is the context of training, that we, we don't mm -hmm. have a classroom. <laughs> uh, we're not expecting to set up like a weekly a Bible study that's going to accomplish this disciple-making, mm. that uh, we realize that our life is the curriculum, and the more time that we can spend with the next generation in a variety of contexts, not just obviously spiritual or religious contexts, but all of life becomes the the training, the training ground. I think that's a great one, Keith. Another one that I think fits right in with that is that Jesus was the model and so he could say later at the very end of his time with the 12, he could say that I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. And he talked about how a servant is not greater than his teacher uh, or than his master, but everyone when he's been fully trained will become like his master, his teacher. So I think it's the second principle is that um, the method of Jesus was to be the model first, to be the blueprint that the next generation could could learn from. And even years later, I, I'm convinced that people like James and John and Peter, and those original disciples, they could think back to how Jesus lived and how he handled situations. And it was a blueprint for how they were going to handle situations. You know, years after he had returned back to the Father, that blueprint was not just information, but it was the life, the model that they had watched uh, Jesus live. You know, another one that we've kind of already talked about was Jesus limited himself. He, he focused on a few. So do you have any uh, thoughts on that one of how Jesus went about purposely? It's kind of like you said, Ben talked about yeah. saying no to the many. How do you see that in Jesus's life? Yeah. Yeah. That's a man. I think um, I know we're, we're really going hard on John right now. <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, it comes up a lot in John where Jesus would have these uh, these great number of people gathered around him, and you would think that it was a perfect opportunity to uh, to recruit, to get people on board, to teach them. But uh, every time you see the crowds gather, 
you almost see Jesus uh, doing something that would uh, <laughs> cause many to walk away, you know? So in John chapter 6, it says that his, he had taught them many things, but they were hard things. And uh, it actually says that the crowd said that these are hard things to understand. Like, who can listen to this? And uh, many, many walked away. Uh, I think there was 5,000 that had got fed, <laughs> not including the women and the children, the families, but all of them were gone. They were going. And Jesus turned to the disciples and said, you know, do you want to leave also? And uh, fortunately, they said no, you know, but I think Jesus was was very serious. Um, Andrew often describes it as uh, being deadly serious, like so much so that he gave his life for it. So I think he wanted people who were serious about the work that the Father had gave him to accomplish. So if that meant losing this great mass of people to get the, the few that were really willing to get on board, and to uh, to get after it, then he was willing to uh, to hurt some feelings, to step on some toes, to make some waves, like however you want to describe it. Like Jesus was uh, willing to uh, to be selective, and you see it today. Like when you're going through uh, a job application for some of these higher positions, like they take it very very seriously, and they can't hire everybody. So uh, there's a very strict selection process. You know, a lot of people see it in the military with special programs, uh, it's not going to be easy. So how much more so the son of God when he chose uh, the men that were carrying on the most important mission of all time. So yeah, Jesus was a boss in that area. Yeah, I would say that he he even looked for opportunities to challenge his, his followers, the crowds, yeah. and uh, force them to either take that next step of maturity mm-hmm. and commitment to, to deepen that commitment and devotion or to realize that, Hey, this isn't really for me. Right. And you definitely, John six is the most obvious example of that. You know, he starts off with 5,000 plus. And like you said, at the end of the chapter, he's there with the 12 and he's willing to let them walk away. He says, do you also want to go away? And, uh, like you said, Peter was like, Hey, we've, we're in it. We're in it till the end. So, you know, we often say that Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers and I think that that was true when he was walking the earth, and I, I think it's true today. So Jesus's commitment to focus on a few, he mm. was purposeful about that. Jesus had 12 disciples, not because that's, that's as many people as he could get to follow him. Yeah. You know, Jesus, Jesus could have, you know, we know he had 72 disciples, yeah. that, but Jesus purposefully limited himself to those 12. He, he like you said in Mark three fourteen, he chose and appointed twelve to especially be close to him, so that he could pass on his message and his mission. Where'd you Where'd you get that from, Andrew? Jesus isn't looking for fans but followers. Is that from the book, or where'd you get that from, man? Uh, I think I made that up, but <laughs> I'm sure someone else has said it. No, I thought but, so too, man. I just had to make sure. But I, I I don't know that I heard that anywhere. But yeah. I I believe it's just from the scriptures. You that's know? solid, that's, man. That's that's how Jesus operates. And so I like it. So I think that's another part of the model of Jesus is he purposely limited himself. Um, He could have had more disciples. He chose 12 that they might be with him. And he did it because he intended to reproduce himself Hmm. into those, those few, those apostles. They were going to be the foundation that he could leave and return to the father. And his message would be kept safe yeah. because those 12 had it 
And he had trained them in his method that they knew how to go about accomplishing his mission. And you see that in the book of Acts. You can see, especially Peter, he's in the early chapters, Peter is the key figure. And the things that he's doing are actually callbacks to the ministry of Jesus. So he's, Mm. he's, he's preaching to crowds in Acts two. He's healing a crippled man in Acts three. Um, so his, his, his activities, Peter's activities in the book of Acts are a direct reflection of what he learned from Jesus in the gospel. So, so that's where we get this idea of generational ministry. We get it from Jesus, that Jesus was the first generation Mm -hmm. and he purposely invested in a few who would be the second generation, but he invested in in them in such a way that the third generation was, I I would say guaranteed, but, but definitely that that was the vision that, that they knew that just as he had loved them, they were supposed to turn around and do that for the next generation. They were supposed to imitate the life and model of Jesus and make disciples. So, so maybe we'll just recap before we, we shift in. We're going to talk a little bit about our own personal story mm-hmm. and uh, how we met and connected. But we're talking about the method of Jesus here and a few of the principles that, that we talked about. One was his life was the curriculum. His life is what he was inviting people into so that he could train them, so that he could pass on his, his ways. Jesus was the model. He, he didn't just ask people. He didn't teach people outside of an example. He didn't ask people to do things he himself wasn't doing. Yeah. He was the model first, and then he passed that on. He focused on a few. That's the third principle of the method of Jesus. He chose to focus on a few. He didn't spread himself too thin. And then he wanted to reproduce himself. He was focusing on them with a purpose, not just to invest in them, but to train them to continue his work after he was gone. Every student, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher, you know, Luke 640. Like you see that come alive where he wanted them to one day be like him. And like Andrew pointed out in the New Testament, most of it there. There's a lot of like Jesus uh, men out there, men and women. So you see his uh, work, it keeps going. So I agree with that, Andrew. I like that last principle. Now, when you think about these four, these four principles of the method of Jesus, life on life, being the model, focusing on a few, and reproducing, um, focusing on the few so that they become the next generation those are all things that we can imitate today. Those mm-hmm. aren't beyond us. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are not supernatural principles. Uh, you and I, as we, as we go about living the mission of Jesus, we can actually put these, these principles into practice. And so that's what we're going to talk about here over the next few minutes before we wrap up. So why don't we share a little bit about our own story, Lakeith? Because I, I do believe that the Lord has given us uh, a special connection. and. Um, I think both of us have this commitment to live for Jesus and to follow him and to follow his model. So why don't you share a little bit about, from your perspective, how we met and Mm -hmm. what you saw in my life that motivated you to to spend time with me. And then I'll share some of the same from my perspective. Yeah, for sure. And um, 
I'll start with with God. I think um, God was doing something in my life and Andrew's life uh, well before we met. And to me, it was it literally was a matter of time. But I'm reminded of Second Corinthians chapter eight, and it was verse sixteen where uh, Paul says, "But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you." So um, somewhere in there, God had put in Titus the same thing that He had put in Paul. And uh, when they linked up to me, it was like, it was almost like clockwork. And um, I know for me, before I was a believer, before I was living for Jesus, when I had that moment and I knew uh, that I wanted to learn more about Jesus, that I wanted to seek him, I knew I was going to need help. I knew it wasn't something I can do on my own. So uh, there I was on a ship in uh, Japan and I was doing the old baby Christian thing where I was slipping through the Bible and hoping something would stick out before I went to bed because I wasn't brave enough to sit there and just read a chapter or something like that. But oddly enough, I think God blessed it. And he He landed me, landed me on um, Hebrews 5, chapter, I mean, chapter 5, verse 12. It says, for by this time, you need to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Uh, so, <laughs> by this time you ought to be a teacher you need someone to teach you the basics about God you need milk not solid food and uh, man that struck me to my core I knew that something had to change but I knew the starting point was that I needed a teacher I needed someone to guide me and to teach me so when I got back to San Diego I promise you guys my schedule was full I, I had a church event going on seven days of the week there wasn't a day where I wasn't trying to uh, learn more about God or find someone to help me do that so when I came across Andrew, I think it was the first time in my life that I had someone that was willing to not only share the gospel, but his own life with me. I was reading back in my journal. We were helping his mom, uh, Grammy Sue, move. And uh, it was unique because everybody, a lot of people came to help out. And then the big group left. There was about three guys left. And then those three guys left. And it was just me and Andrew, you know. And uh, that gave us some really good time to connect. But I thought it was symbolic of our relationship that it was just me and him. And uh, he got to challenge me in a big way, you know. So I, I think I realized early on that Andrew was willing to invest in me as an individual and teach me so that I can teach others about Jesus. And uh, he did that with his life as the model. Like I said, we went to Home Depot. <laughs> we got some stuff <laughs> for the house and we went back and we worked for another couple of hours. But it really meant a lot to me that he was willing to spend time with me as an individual. So I think for starters, that's what it was, Andrew. Yeah. And I would say, um, I mentioned this book earlier, the Timothy principle. One thing that the author of that book mentions in the book is that for those of us who, who are trying to make disciples, that this is our, this is our, our great desire. Our great goal in life is to obey the great commission, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus to be part of his work of making disciples, mm -hmm. the Lord will use your life over the decades. If you're faithful, God will use you to make many disciples, maybe hundreds of disciples, but he will probably only give you a handful of Timothys. Mm. So he made a distinction between a Timothy and just a disciple, someone that you're passing on the ways of Christ to. And it had to do with a special connection, a special relationship that existed uh, between Paul and Timothy, uh, which is who he's talking about in the book. But I, I think I saw that 
with you, Keith, pretty early on, some of the things that stood out to me, you know, you talked about helping my mom. Yeah. We were, we were helping move her household goods into a new place that she had. And I think that was the first time we had spent really any real time right. together. And yeah, so, was. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing that stood out, you know, I want our listeners to know that, that we didn't know each other, but you were, you were willing to help and serve um, from from the very beginning, and that really stood out to me. I think, um, you know, people who people who want to follow Jesus and want to be used by Him are not proud. You know, they're not they're not too proud to help out in mm-hmm. small ways and in, in really blue collar ways, in mm-hmm. ways that that don't get a lot of attention or maybe a lot of of uh, affirmation. And that's fine because that's not their motivation. Their right. their motivation for serving is not the the glory that they're going to get out of mm-hmm. it. And so one thing I saw in you very early on was that you had a heart to learn and you had a heart to serve. And then also in that little story that you shared, you were available. You know, even though like you said you were busy, mm-hmm. um you made a priority to to want to grow and if um I think that that availability was was two ways. Like mm-hmm. you said that I was willing to spend time with you but you were willing to take as much as, as I could give you. For sure. And so I think that's something that, um, that is also part of what I, I noticed in you that was different. Mm-hmm. You know, your heart to serve, your availability, and your hunger, your desire to grow and learn. Um, and then another thing that I would say stood out very early with you is that you were others-focused. I mean, obviously you were... Mm-hmm. You were others focused in the sense that you were willing to to help me and to help my mom in very practical ways, but you were also very others focused in terms of reaching out to people and inviting them to yeah. events that were happening, that you were learning something that you were excited about, and you weren't going to keep that to yourself. That mm-hmm. You were, from the very beginning, you know, doing that come and see yeah. approach. Right. with uh, shipmates and, and friends that you knew. So those were all things that I think um, were reflected in your life in those early mm-hmm. those early weeks of us getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I uh, Like I said, Andrew, he was dealing with, I think I was like 22, 23 years old. So I was very young in life and in the faith, you know. So I think um, looking back on it, I'm sure it required a lot of patience and you know, understanding for you, Andrew, to kind of filter through some of the immaturity <laughs> that was going on, you know, in my life. But I think the commitment was there. Like Andrew was willing to uh, to really guide me, you know, in life and in faith. And uh, you don't go back on that kind of stuff, you know. And I think that God had a unique, um, you know, story he was telling through me, you know, not growing up with my father and not having that male figure to uh to guide me along the path i think i was always looking for it so when it when it was there and it was available uh i was gonna do everything in my power not to miss out like i didn't want to to miss that opportunity because i knew how much it meant so you know one thing that um it's kind of i'm laughing right now on the inside (laughs) because uh i remember a story from that first moving day because that was several hours of moving and um, you know, I, I have, I have four kids and they were all at home at that time and they were much younger. This was probably six years ago. Oh, yeah. So our youngest Jackson is, 
is 13 now. He would have been seven, six or seven at that time. But something you said to me, I don't know if, I don't think it was that day. I think it was maybe weeks later. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I guess my kids had done, had done some things. I don't know. They were rough housing or they were playing or maybe they broke something. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. But um, you, you talked about how I disciplined them. Oh, or, yeah. or maybe just how I, um, I don't even know if I disciplined them, but yeah. do you remember that? Yeah, that was, that was like weeks before I met you. Um, I think we were sitting in a Bible study and uh, Jackson was doing something. So you called him over and uh, you gave him a little tap, a little love tap, you know? And uh, <laughs> I think I looked at your face and you looked so like uh, stoic, you know, it was almost like there was no, there wasn't a whole lot of emotion there. And then he gave him the spank, and I was like, "Oh man, that's." I was like, "Well, I probably won't be friends with that guy. I'll, <laughs> I'll pass on that one, you know." So, yeah. So that was actually beforehand. I, I that was my perception. I was like, "Oh man, he must be a hard guy," you know. So, and it turns out, like, you know, not too many people know this about Andrew, uh, but I think he's probably well one of the most loving men I've ever met in my life. Like, I can grow through countless stories and countless times where I felt that love, but it it took uh, you know it took some some time to get to know that. And I'm sure the disciples felt that same way with Jesus where I was like, they wasn't sure like what to expect. But when they got a lot closer, there was things that they learned that only they, they could only learn that by being closer to Jesus, by going through life with him. So. Yeah. Well, that one stood out to me just because going back to the idea of life on life and that the way you're living your life is the model mm -hmm. and that people are watching. I think that's why it's, I think that's why maybe a lot of people don't make disciples actually, because huh. that's a high, that's a high standard that, that if your life is going to be the model and you're opening, opening it up so that other people can see it. Um, we always tell people when they, when they move in to live with us, we, we have people live with us, um, just for life on life discipleship. And we tell them, you know, you're going to, you're going to see the good, you're going to see the bad, you're going <laughs> to see the ugly. Yep. Uh, because this is real life. This is who we really are. Mm -hmm. And all of us can do a, a, a decent job of putting up a front yep. um, if we're only seeing each other a couple times a week and it's always in a certain context. But mm -hmm. if you really invite people into your life, um, they're going to see everything. That's true. But they're going to be able to learn from that. And um, you know, the, 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 the guy who discipled me, Cecil Bean, uh, I learned a lot from Cecil. And some, some of the things I learned from him, I mean, most of what I learned from Cecil were things that I wanted to imitate. Mm. But some of the things I learned from him were, hey, I'm not wired that way. So Cecil does that. It works for him. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to have to take a different approach. So how can I learn the principle mm. without necessarily imitating him you know, exactly? Mm. But that's a great thing that, that, we get to, that we get to experience when we have this Jesus's method of making disciples the life on life. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, some tips. So since you're younger, <laughs> true, <laughs> we're going to say, uh, let's give you, what are some tips that you would encourage people, some things to look for in a Paul? So if we're, if someone's out there is listening and they are maybe in their twenties, they're a younger mm -hmm. follower of Jesus and they would love to find a Paul and be discipled yeah. uh, by that person what are some things that you would encourage them to do or to look for? Yeah. And um, I hope this part doesn't ruffle too, ruffle too many feathers. And if it does, like, feel free to hit me up directly. Or if you ever see me, just be like, hey, bro, what, what were you talking about with that? But uh, I would just say starting off, if you can't ever see their personal life, like, that's probably the person you shouldn't be 
mentored by or discipled by. Like, if you only get to see them in a very formal context and putting on their best face and they're all prepped, you know, and they're ready to go, like, then uh, I would just say find somebody else. Like, choose the next level. Like, even if the person that you're going to get mentored by isn't, isn't as skilled or isn't as versed um, with the scriptures, uh, still, you know, if that person is available, choose that person because, uh, like Andrew said, there's some things you're going to see from real life, day-to-day things that you won't be able to see in a Sunday-to-Sunday context or Tuesday-to-Tuesday context. So, yeah, my first one would just choose somebody who's available but that you can see their personal life. I think I'm uh, I'm encouraged by Ruth, uh, a book in the Old Testament, because I think we always think that discipleship, that life on life is just a New Testament concept. But I don't think it is. Uh, if you go back to the story when Ruth was first committing to Naomi, it was actually her sister who left first, and she had the same opportunity that Ruth had. She could have stayed, and she could have uh, committed to Naomi, but she didn't. So I'll just read you what uh, Ruth said to Naomi. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to be with her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. So Ruth had this amazement, amazing commitment to to Naomi, but it was because of the relationship that, had, that they had shared beforehand. So uh, there is going to you know, come a point in your life where you're going to have to commit to someone. And you see the disciples doing it with Jesus. Like Jesus was like, hey, let's go back to Judea. And it's like, well, Let's go back so that we may die with Jesus. You know, like uh, there is going to require a certain level of commitment. But the cool part is you get to choose, you know. So look for someone who you can share life with and that you really, uh, really admire as far as their walk with Jesus. Does that make sense, Andrew? Oh, yeah. I mean, it reminds me of Hebrews 13, 7. Yeah. He says, remember your leaders, mm-hmm. those who spoke the word of God to you and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. And mm-hmm. so... Spiritual leaders should be speaking the word of God to you. Mm-hmm. They should be willing to do that. And then you should be able to see their way of life and assess it. Like what's yeah. the outcome? What is their way of life and what's the outcome of their way of life? Mm-hmm. So you really, you get to choose your leaders. You get to choose your mentors in a lot of ways. Now they have to be willing yeah. to reciprocate. <laughs> right. They have to be willing to mentor you. But you're not stuck mm-hmm. with with a mentor. Like Jesus told the 12, do you want to go away? Exactly. Like they could have. Yeah. But they uh, they made a good choice. <laughs> they did, man. <laughs> no, we're going to stick true. with you. That's true. <laughs> and I think it, it totally makes sense. And I, I love what you say there. I, I think, yeah, if there's a uh, superstar, we're just going to let it go. We got All the right. <laughs> sirens, man. Every episode, we got to have a, oh, yeah. an ambulance or a fire, a fire yeah. truck drive through here. Yep, <laughs> just part of the end of the harvest. The way we flow. Exactly. That's it, man. That's it. Yeah. But um, I love what you said there that, you know, there, there might be this rock star. You're going out to a mega church and this person mm-hmm. just seems to have everything together. They've got thousands of followers on social media. They're, they're dynamic speakers. But, you know, they're not available to you. Right. Um, choose someone who is lower so to speak (laughs) someone who's closer to you who may not be as dynamic who may not be a superstar but who's real Mm -hmm. and obviously who's following jesus like they need to be a good example 
But um, I, I, I love that. And I think that's, that's really great advice. And I, I want to do the same for those who are older, you know, because there are many of us who have walked with Jesus um, for years now. And we want to make disciples. Um, and maybe right now you don't have a Timothy. You don't have a, a Peter, a James, or a John who's available to follow you. A few things that I want to encourage those who would be in that situation to do first is to pray. Um, I've seen this multiple times in my life mm-hmm. when I've had seasons where I did not have a next generation uh, man or couple who shared that Second Corinthians eight mm-hmm. mindset that you talked about earlier, mm-hmm. who had this, who had the same heart for the same group of people. Right. Um, and it would dawn on me that. I really haven't been praying for that. I haven't been fervently asking God to entrust to me the next generation, someone who has the same heart as I have. And so I would say if if that's the situation you're in where you don't have that next generation like-hearted disciple that to invest in, are you praying? And are you fervently praying? Is this on your daily prayer list uh, where you're crying out to God and asking him, Even Jesus, again, going back to John 17, he acknowledged that these were the men that the Father had given him out of the Mm. world. These weren't just men that he had come up with on his own, but the Father had entrusted the 12 to Jesus. And he said that he was faithful. When the Father gave gave those men to him, he was faithful to invest in them. He didn't lose any of them except one, Mm -hmm. the son of perdition. And so that's a, a first step that I would encourage people are you praying? Are you asking the Lord to give you that next generation? And then secondly, are you are you a model? Even before you have a disciple to pass it on to you, mm-hmm. is your life a reflection of what you would want to see the next generation living out? And this is a powerful one. Yeah, Like this is a big one for me, even with my children. And I would say, especially my three boys. Am I, am I wanting, do I have higher aspirations for them than than standards that I'm living for on my own. So I want them to I want them to live a certain way. I want them to grow up to be a certain type of man. But am I living that right now? And if I'm not, there's a huge problem. So that's a second uh, tip I would give for those who are more mature and who want to disciple others. You have to be that example mm-hmm. uh, before you can pass that on because we're talking about reproducing. So. Genesis 1, you reproduce who you are. And so you want to make sure that who you are is is worthy of being reproduced. And that starts before you have a Timothy, before you have a Peter. You need to be living that life. And so if your motivation for faithfulness is only bound up in being able to pass that on, that's not enough. You have to be motivated to to be a Timothy, to, to be faithful even when you don't have um, a next generation disciple to pass that on to you. And then I would just say, you know, look for someone who is available and who's, who's willing to be challenged, who's willing to make changes. And I think you got to have both of those because I found over the years that many people will be available. Maybe they even admire you. They, they, they look up to you. They're willing to meet with you and to spend time with you and, and to learn from you, so to speak. But they're not willing to turn around and pass it on. They're not willing to turn around and put it into practice. 
And so you've got to look for someone who's willing to intake and output. And so uh, if you find someone who's willing to do that, though, um, you've got a you've got a good man, you've got a good woman, and you should really value that. You should you should prioritize spending time with that person. So if you've got five people out there who are willing to spend time with you, but one in particular is really eager to not only learn from you, but really wants to pass the, those things on to others and to obey those challenges. That's the one you, you don't want to spend equal time with all five of those. You want to spend the majority of your time with the one who's ready to pass things on. You know, I always say that the best Timothys see themselves as future Pauls. Mm. And from the very beginning, you're going to notice the ones who, who have that desire to actually mature and grow and um, to replace you, basically. And that's, yeah. that's, what the, that's what the 12 did with Jesus. Yeah. I like your principles, uh, Andrew, there. And, um, and I got to say, I think that I, I'm in agreement because I've seen you live out some of those principles. And, uh, yeah, one, to imitate your faith, you know. So um, one of the big things that happened, I think the, the thing that sealed the deal for me and Andrew early on, at least from my perspective, was, uh, yeah, the gospel and him sharing his life, you know. So he had a, a unique job. He was in full-time ministry to where he can be, he could be available for me. And uh, one of the big decisions I was wrestling with was to go back home and to pursue Bible college and uh, to work at the post office. That was my goal, guys. That was going to be it. <laughs> uh, or to stay in San Diego and to keep learning from, from Andrew and to be mentored by him and Cindy. And, uh, yeah, he, he had a job where he could go back home with me and visit my family and really help me wrestle with that decision, you know. So, uh, yeah, he picked up, you know, what he was doing in, in a week and, left back with me to Chicago. And uh, I think I seen that and I was like, man, like I knew how much it, it cost for him to leave his family, his four kids, his wife for a week and to come back to my house, <laughs> to my place back home. But um, that was a big deal for me because I knew that I wanted to do that for somebody else one day. Like I wanted to imitate that same love that was shown to me. So yeah, I, I do I do agree with you that you modeled those principles even with or without knowing it. Yeah, I see you doing the same for the, the men and women that you're investing in right now. Well, guys, we, we probably ought to wrap up. I want to, um, I just want to highlight a few of the resources that, that we touched on in this episode. If you want to learn more, if you want to dig deeper, uh, one is just to study the mission of Jesus or study the life of Jesus, but study his life in the Gospels, specifically looking at how did he define his mission and what were his methods? How did he go about passing on the message and passing on his life, his way of life? A good resource to help you do that is a book by Robert Coleman called The Master Plan of Evangelism. If you have not read that, if you have not gone through that, I would, I would highly encourage you to put that on your reading list oh, yeah. in, fire. in the near future. We've actually got a study guide that goes along with that on the Into the Harvest website. That's It's a free download. So if you're interested in that, um, you can find it on our website or hit us up and we'll definitely get you a copy of that. So Master Plan of Evangelism is a good one. This book, The Timothy Principle, is is a good book. Uh, I would not put it on the same level as Master Plan, but if you've read Master Plan and you want to continue to dig into this particular subject, then The Timothy Principle by Roy Robertson mm -hmm. is a great book to read. And then may maybe the the earliest thing, the quickest thing that people could do is to study John 17, just that one chapter. 
but study it through the lens of how does Jesus describe what he did with the 12? Mm. Not just a, a prayer, but what did Jesus do? What did he say he did with the 12? And how could you imitate that? So um, I think we did okay, brother. We survived. Yeah, no, we survived we without Abigail. We, no Abigail. <laughs> Still sad. But this is a this is a topic we could probably talk about for another hour. It's, uh, that is true, man. No. It's near and dear to our hearts, <laughs> exactly. But guys, I, I think it's a rare I think it's a rare thing mm. um, for our listeners. I don't think very many people have this mindset and are purposely trying to structure their lives mm-hmm. around the Timothy principle. Uh, but we hope that today's podcast and the work that we're doing within the harvest can encourage you to become one of those few people who have that vision and have the commitment to to live it out and if there's anything that we can do to encourage you on that journey we want to do that so so hit us up all right guys until next time yeah thanks for being part of our community if you find this podcast valuable there are many ways you can support it you can review it on itunes stitcher or wherever you happen to listen to it you can share it on social media with your friends or you can support it directly by visiting our website, intotheharvest.org, clicking on the donate link, and becoming a monthly giving partner. When you do this, you'll receive a thank you package with some great ITH gear. Thank you for supporting the show and helping our small team make a big difference for Jesus. It's listeners like you that make this ministry possible.